love it. Sometimes it's a melt your face off worship set, and other times it's a it's a God's still small voice, and I'm I'm great with all those. And uh, can you guys give it up on the drum set today? Is Jim, and he is um he's uh, Liz and Lindsay's dad, and uh, been playing been playing drums for a minute. That dude is awesome. Man, you did really good, brother. Thank you. I hope I hope to see him in there more often, man. You did did a great job. Doesn't he look like my younger brother? All right, uh, we're going to get into the Word, and, um, and we're starting a series today, and that series is, is or now we're finishing a series, I'm sorry, that series is called The Domino Effect, and what we've done is we've went through moments in Scripture, and, and we've really talked about kind of domino effects. You know what a domino effect is, you push a domino, and all these crazy things happen, right? How many of you guys have seen it before? Uh, if we had, you know, had a better budget, maybe I'd get dominoes all over the room, and actually it's not a budget thing, it's a patience thing, man. I would... That is not fun trying to set those things up. That is just, a, that's a lot. That's a lot. But, uh, but, but so anyway, so week one, we, so we talk about like the push. There's the push and there's the reaction. So there's our part and there's God's part and then there's the takeaway. And, uh, and so today we're going to hit number four. We started with number one and we talked about the, uh, the domino effect of carrying your cheese. And we talked about King David, who, who was not yet king he was just a little shepherd boy, and he was in the field doing his dad's work. His dad walked up to him and said, I want you to take all this grain and all this cheese, and I want you to run it to the battlefield. His brothers were at battle. He goes, I want you to check on your brothers. Now, understand, he was already anointed king by Samuel at this time, and so you could tell there, there's an opportunity for a, a conniption fit here, a, a, an opportunity for a hissy fit. He didn't have that. He was obedient, and because he was obedient. He found himself on the battlefield. And because he found himself on the battlefield, he was able to kill Goliath with his own sword, with Goliath's own sword. And because of that, he ended up in uh, the palace with the king. And in that moment, at first the king was great and glad he was there, but then the king turned on him and now he's running for his life. And while he's running for his life, he goes to the temple to find some shelter and find a way to, to kind of you know, protect himself. And what does he find? He finds Goliath's sword. And so basically the takeaway was this. If we will be faithful to say yes to God when he calls on us to do something, anything, then he will sustain us and he will use us. But then in those final moments, like David, God will, God will use our obedience in the past to protect us and take care of us in the future. Isn't that really cool? So that, that, was, that was week one. And uh, week two was, uh, that was an impromptu message. I had one completely written, God changed my mind, right before service, or no, it wasn't even before service started, right before I started preaching, changed my mind, and we ended up talking about being roof rippers, and, and how the, the push was, was uh, the paralytic's friends lowered him through the roof, and Jesus saw that, and Jesus said, your sins, and your, and your sins are forgiven, and your body's healed. And... Um, and what we just thought was really cool is how sometimes you're the one ripping the roof, and other times you're the one being lowered down. And it's okay to be either, because God honors both. Amen? Yes. 
And then uh, week three was last week, and we, we talked about the prodigal's return and how, how the prodigal walked away, but when he took one step back towards his father, his father ran to him, wrapped his arms around him, covered him in his robe. His robe represents his righteousness. He covers him with his righteousness, puts a ring on his finger, and that was a signet ring, so it was, it was giving, restoring to him his identity as the, that, that man's son and, and providing for him sandals for his feet and throwing a celebration in his honor as if he is the guest of honor. And how when one person will take one step back towards God, even though you may feel like you've messed it all up and you've fallen short, if you take one step back towards God, he will run to you and he will do the same. Cover your filthiness and his righteousness. Restore his identity in your life. Provide for your needs. And all, throw, all, all the while throwing a celebration that has happened. That's what God does. Amen? And so today is Palm Sunday. And, um, and we want to talk about the triumphal entry. And so here's some things that we know about the triumphal entry. When I say those words, do you know, who knows what I mean when I say triumphal entry? Who knows that? Okay, so in case you don't know what that means, what that means is the day Jesus makes his way back into Jerusalem. Now, there's some things that happen here. And you need to know about it right away. Here's the background. Number one, Jesus's end is very near, right? Jesus's end of the beginning is very near. Amen? Yes. Number two, Jesus now is more popular amongst the people than ever before. In fact, he's so popular that they want to crown him king. And so he's, he's so popular. He had just done this raising somebody from the dead miracle. And uh, just, just, just days before, in the town of Bethany, he had just done that. And the people were ready to crown him king. And so he's coming into the, into the scene, and they are, they are ready to crown him and make him, make him, give him everything, right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. But then, as that's happening, he's also, um, he's also less popular with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time than ever before. Less popular. They're plotting his death. They're ready to see him killed. They're ready for this to be over. They don't like him. He's changing things. He's shaking things up, and they are not a fan. Amen? And so as that's going on, he, he's on his way into the city, and everybody thinks they know what's going to happen, and nobody knows what's going to happen. How many of you know God's a lot like that? You may think that you know exactly how things are going to play out. And he comes out of left field and you're not even playing baseball. You know what I'm saying? Like he just, oh, no, I didn't think it was going to work like that. I thought it was going to, no, swing and a miss. And again, not playing baseball. That's how God works. We think we know him, but he's inexhaustible. We think we know what he's going to do, but boy, we sure don't. And they think they're going to crown him king, but he's riding in on a donkey, right? Should a king be riding on a donkey? Hey, donkey. That's my best Shrek. That's the best I can do. Sorry. That's a... What are you doing in my swamp? That's not, no, that's not good. I'm not good with accents. So they, they, they're coming in and, and they all think, well, he's, he's, he's a king. He's going to be our king. He's going to tear down the system that, that the Romans have created. The problem is, is he's showing up on a donkey. How many wants to follow a king on a donkey? Nobody does. And Jesus knows that. He says, you may think that I'm coming in as a king, 
but really I'm coming in as a servant. You think you know how it's going to go, but you don't. And the thing is, he's been telling them. He's been telling them for years, like, I'm going to come. I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to die so that you may have life. Like, he didn't, like, he didn't, he didn't kind of cleverly tell them how it was going to happen. He point blank told them, and they're like, well, that's, that doesn't sound right. I'm not going there. I had a joke. I'm not going there. And so, you know, you would expect him to come in on this amazing camel or like this beautiful horse. He shows up on a donkey. It's like if the, if the king of the world were to show up, you would expect him to be in a Lamborghini and not the first car I ever had, which was an 85 laser with no passing gear. Right? Yeah. Sound system was worth more than the vehicle. Anyway. So nobody has a clue, but Jesus has been telling them, but it's time for him to enter into the city, and this is for the last time, and this is what it looks like. So I was going to read this, but I realized we haven't had a guest reader in a while, somebody that we've used for other things in the past, and, uh, and so I brought Johnny back. Some of you guys remember uh, Johnny Cash from our, yeah, so Johnny reads, he's, he's done a couple uh, readings for us in our walkthrough series, so here's a story of the triumphal entry, read by Johnny Cash. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So much better than when I, when I read, right? So much better. Okay, so the story, the triumphal entry, you, you've seen it. So we're going to talk about the push. We're going to talk about the reaction. We're going to talk about the takeaway. But actually, there's two pushes, and there's two reactions, and one takeaway. Okay? Are you ready? Let's do this. So the first push, let's talk about it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 again. Here we go. Now, when they had drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied to a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So his disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. So, kind of weird what happens right away. You know, Jesus is kind of, you know, he's always kind of spoken in parables for the most part, except for what he's about to do. He's told them over and over again, this is how it's going to happen. But it's kind of weird, don't you think, how, what he tells them to do? Go get, me, go get me a donkey and bring the donkey back. And so go to some dude's house and steal his donkey. <laughs> but if he says something to you, be like, yo, man, Jesus needs it. And be like, all right, then. <laughs> how many of you parents would do this? Okay, son, what I need you to do, I need you to go to the neighbor's house. I need you to hotwire his car. And then I need you to bring it back to me. But dad, I'm 12. I don't care. Tell him I need it. <laughs> but it works, right? They did exactly what he told them to do. They did it completely. And they walked in obedience. And, and uh, here's the thing that it just kind of is strange to me. They didn't even ask one clarifying question. Uh, Jesus, do we know the guy whose house you're going to to get the donkey? Didn't ask that. Is this maybe your cousin? Nephew? Somebody? Do you know this dude? Are we gonna get are we gonna get beat up over this? They didn't ask anything. They just did it. But it's all good. They had faith. They 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 trusted and they did exactly what they were told to do. And so, guys, the first push is obedience. You may be wondering, we talk about the triumphal entry, and maybe you're like, okay, the triumphal entry is a great story, but how does it relate to my life? I'm gonna tell you things today. You can leave today and start doing, and I promise you, your walk with God will get better. And the first one is obedience. God has a tendency to ask us to do things that we don't understand. How many of you guys can say amen to that? How many of you have ever had God lay something on your heart and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Makes no sense. Have no idea why, but I'm going to do it. Anybody ever, ever been there? I think I told this story once before, but uh, I'll tell it again, and, uh, and if you've heard it, then just act like you haven't, okay? Just enjoy it. Uh, I remember one time, God laid, my heart, laid on my heart to do something. I'm like, this makes no sense. I had just bought this awesome, like, it was a, it was a $5 purchase at a, uh, at like a garage sale. It was at Dan and Lori, your guys' garage sale, like that your, you know, your block thing that they do? about this track jack. You know how hard it is for a guy my size to find anything that fits your body that's not a parachute or a tent? And it's actually cool. I mean, sometimes I see things and I'm like, if I saw myself in clothes like those, I'd have to kick my own butt. I, I'm not wearing that. That's, a, that's not true. I wouldn't. But I, I'm like, I, I can't wear that. That's not me. That's not me. It, it, was, it was sweet and it was available. And I'm like, okay. And it was $5. I'm like, yeah, it's in budget. So I buy this thing. I buy it in the dead of summer. I mean, it is, it is Africa hot out there, y'all. I mean, the only thing separating us from hell that day was a screen door. That's how hot it was, right? It was warm. And, and so I'm like, but I know cooler times are coming. And so I had, this, I had this track jacket, and I was ready to go first, first wear of the cold season, which for me is 20 degrees. It's shorts weather until 20 degrees for me. So it's like 20 degrees outside. I'm finally wearing this, this jacket. I'm feeling great. And we go through this, we go through this restaurant drive-thru, and there's this dude there. He's about my size. And the Lord's like, 
give him your jacket. I'm like, uh, Jesus? I bought this in June for $5 at a garage sale. That's unheard of. Finding something. No. He's like, do it. I'm like, oh, fine. I'm like, I, and so we roll up, and I'm like, I didn't even fold it. I just kind of bunched it, and I'm like, uh, God told me I need to give this to you. Here you go. And he's like, oh, oh, oh okay. And he th- throws it behind him. I'm like, it, I, do you know where I got that? Still to this day, I have no idea why on earth God told me to do that. All I know was I was obedient. But here's the truth, and I know this, is we are not called to understand, we're called to obey. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it one more time. That's good. We're not called to understand, we're called to walk in obedience. Amen? God told, Jesus told them, go and do this, and they did it. And the thing was, they didn't ask any questions, they just did it. Because when we are obedient to God, we have to be obedient to God instantly. I heard this phrase by Reverend L, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Said, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, imagine if Jesus asked one of them to do that today. You know, they'd have been like, uh, Jesus... If he'd have been like, go and, go and get this donkey from somebody's house, the disciples would have said things like this. Um, I don't feel comfortable with this theft. And uh, this feels counterproductive to our vision. Doesn't that sound like something? Right? Or, why are we doing this? I'll just get us an Uber. They'd say that today, wouldn't they? Or, Jesus, I can order one on Amazon and because I have Super Prime, it'll be here tomorrow. They didn't stop and argue with him. They obeyed him instantly because they know that delayed obedience is the same thing as disobedience. The second thing they did is they obeyed him completely. So instantly and completely. Sometimes it's not the instantly we struggle with. Sometimes it's the completely. How many of you have children? How many of you have ever given your children a list of things to do and halfway through... They're playing with their toys, and you're like, uh, did you get the list of things I asked you to do? And they're like, well, you told me to pick up my toys, and then I did, and I started playing with them. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, any experience in this area, do I, Gavin? Okay. He's <laughs> he, poor kid. I owe, you, I owe him a dollar now. But since I paid, let's go. I told him just yesterday, I'm like, dude, here's a list of things to do. And I'm like, go get your laundry, bring it in, and get, and get, your, get your bedding, put your bedding on, and get your laundry, and we're trying to get the house cleaned up. And he comes back. I'm like, 20 minutes later, I'm like, Gavin, come here. He comes in. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, my math homework. I'm like, When did we mention math? It's like I walked past my computer, remembered I had math homework to do. I'll give you $2 now. We're on spring break even. Okay, all right, I'll give you three. (laughs) 
we don't often struggle with obeying God instantly, but we often struggle with obeying God completely because the last little bit of obedience is usually what costs us the most, Come on. right? Yep. And, and so just like delayed obedience is disobedience, partial obedience is also the same thing as disobedience. We are called by God to live a life of instantaneous obedience. And you're like, well, okay, but God hasn't spoken anything to me. Oh, but doggy has. You got to learn to obey the written word before you ever obey, learn to obey what he's speaking in your heart. He's giving you this. Start here. Start living obedient to this. You're going to fall flat on your face, and that's where God's grace bridges the gaps. Amen? But we have to walk in obedience to God. They walked in obedience to Jesus because their level of, of obedience to Jesus was tied to their level of trust in Jesus. Did you hear that? Their level of obedience to Jesus was tied directly to their level of their trust in Jesus. You will only obey God as much as you trust God. Man, are you ready for me to get off this subject yet? Some of you are like, okay, I know there's another push. Get to that one. All right, let's talk about the next push. The second push. Let's keep reading. Verses uh, 7 through 11. Here we go. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set them on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes went out before him crying and cried out saying, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we come up to Jerusalem, all her city were moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. The second push is simply this. They created a place for him. They created a place for him. They prepared a place for Jesus in their life. You got to understand, this moment is basically them rolling out the red carpet. Do you understand that? It's a cultural thing. They didn't have the red carpet, so they had their clothes. And sometimes all they had was their clothes. You got to remember, the ones who were coming to find Jesus were the ones who needed him most. So they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of riches. They had what they had, and what they had was what they gave. So they took their clothes. You know, I'm going to take this tunic, and I'm going to put it on the ground and let this donkey walk on it, because I, or, or these palm leaves. I'm going to put it on the ground, and we're going to create a red carpet for this man. Yeah. He is the guest of honor. Nowadays, they'd be asking him things like, Jesus, what you wearing? And he'd be like, it's a cloak. Because that's all I got. It's a cloak. It's not, it's not Versace. It's not anything else. That's not who I am. It's a cloak. But they prepared the red carpet for him. They gave sacrificially of their own possessions. And they sang his praise and they proclaimed his arrival you got to understand something. These people, they knew his lineage. They knew he was the lineage of David. And so the prophecies would say that it was somebody from the lineage of David would come and rescue them. But Jesus was come ready, ready, he was coming ready to die for them when they thought he was, gonna, he was going to rescue them from the Roman rule. 
They thought they were going to get to rule with him at that point in time. They thought that he was going to tear down the worldly structure and set up a new, a new earth and a new creation for them because the Bible says that that's going to happen. They just they weren't exactly catching wind, right? And so he comes lowly and ready to give his life, and they're proclaiming because they knew that he was the Messiah. They just didn't understand how he was going to do it. They created an atmosphere that proclaimed the king is among us. Did you hear that? So they prepared a place. And when you prepare a place for God, God shows up. Amen? You guys feeling this? You getting it? You getting it? So they prepare almost, almost like that shoeless Joe. If you build it, he will come. Right? So they were obedient, instantaneous, and completely, and they created the atmosphere. They created a place. They prepared a place, and they said, we're preparing a place specially so that Jesus can come. Now here are the reactions. The first reaction. Verse 12 and 13. He comes in. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. The very first thing that he does in his reaction to their obedience and then preparing a place is he comes in and he removes anything that doesn't need to be there. He starts identifying things that are actually separating people from God rather than bringing them closer to God. And he says, I'm going to get rid of this. And he, he begins to overturn the town. And people are like, well, why would he do that? It, it's, 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 actually pretty, it's actually pretty well documented what was going on. When you wanted to sacrifice, the temple was no longer allowing you to bring your own best sacrifice. You had to buy from them. Okay, let's do that. Well, you think you got inflation now? Can we mention that? Some people turn in red and some people turn in blue when I said the word inflation. I'm not sure what's going on around here. You guys got me worried. Anyway, so the temple would make you pay way more for the animals that you had to sacrifice than what you would normally pay. That didn't make God happy. Jesus came so that the common man, you and I, had access to him. Because before that, the priests were the only ones who had real access, and everybody else just kind of used them as their go-between to get forgiven. And Jesus is like, I'm going I'm to restore that, that closeness that I had with Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. Right? And this is counterproductive to that. This is taking away from that. So you would walk up and you'd be like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to buy a, a turtle dove and a partridge, and a pear tree. And they're like, okay, that's $750. And you're like, man, I can get it down the road for $399. And they're like, well, you got to pay the temple. You got to pay the temple price. How many of you would be a little less happy about sacrificing at that point in time? Well, here's the problem. You can't pay with your own money. You can't pay with the, you can't pay with the worldly money. We're not taking Caesar's money. You have to pay with temple money. So give us your Caesar money, and we'll give you temple money. Okay, it's a dollar to a dollar, right? No, for every dollar you give us, because it's God's money, we'll give you 50 cents. 
Now Jesus is not happy because his people are being cheated. Did you know that was going on? So they were making them buy these, and they were charging them ridiculous amounts, but they were also raking them over the coals in, in the exchange of the money. Now Jesus comes in, and he sees this, and he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer where people can access God, but you're making it a den of thieves. So this is counterproductive to what I'm trying to do. I'm going to remove it from this area. And that's exactly what he did. He was flipping tables. He was doing stone cold stunners. He was doing rock bottoms and leg drops. He was doing all of it. Well, maybe not, maybe not some of that, but he definitely wasn't happy, and he, and he overturned some things. I, I tend to envision a little more in my mind. And basically what he was saying was these are things that are separating God from their people. You can have this system, or you can have God but you can't have both. And Jesus is saying, because I'm here, we're going to get rid of that. Friends, there are things that separate us from God. Each of us deal with them in our lives. Some of us give in more than others, but everybody struggles. Amen? Everybody struggles. Amen? Amen. Some of you are like, amen. These people struggle. <laughs> no, it's all of us. We all do. things that separate us from God. Some things are things like sin, like lust and pride and arrogance and, and the way we treat people and greed and, and, and the things that we look at and the things that we talk about. Those are, those are things that we do, but then, but then it's, also, it's also things that we put in front of God. No, I'm going to Google more things that are sin. I, that's, no. This right here. This right here. You can use this to pull up our Bible and get closer to God and make notes about what we just read, or you can look for cat memes. God's saying, there are things in your life that draw me closer to you, and there are things in your life that pull me farther away from you. And Jesus overturned the things that were separating people from God. And I think he would have us do the same thing in our own life, that we need to walk through the temple of our own life, and we need to take a kind of an kind of inventory of the things that we're doing and say, God, what is it in my life that I need to overturn in my life because there are things that I know are separating me from you. There are things that I know that are keeping me from your best. There are things in my life that I know that are causing me to be further away, further from you than closer to you. And God says, you need to do something about that. Amen? Amen? Here's what the word challenges us to understand. This is, a, this is a quote that the Lord gave me. It kind of blew my mind. We either prepare a place for Jesus or sin in our life. We cannot prepare a place for both. You can write that one down. You can tweet it or FaceTime it to a relative we either prepare a place for Jesus, for, uh, for, for Jesus or for sin in our life. We cannot prepare a place for both. Let me tell you what God does. Here's why God is so amazing. He doesn't chase you around with whips and do rock bottoms and stone cold stunners on you. He doesn't do those. But what he does do 
So he takes his finger and he puts it on your heart. And he says, son, this is hurting you. This is hurting the people around you. This is hurting your friends. This is hurting your family. This is keeping us apart. And it's time to let it go. That's how God works. He doesn't walk up on you and say, what's wrong with you? Get your life right. Are you kidding me? No, he doesn't do that. He's like, hey, I have better, sorry, I should have, should I have given a warning? My, so, okay, we don't, yeah. He says, he says, I have better for you than this. And I love, hear this. I love you too much to let you stay where you're at. Let's see the next one. Sorry for all those that I frightened. My apologies. Let's look at the second reaction. And then in verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus began to heal people and do miracles. There were people who were blind and now they could see. There were people who couldn't walk before and now they can walk. There were people who couldn't talk, people who couldn't hear. And they came to Jesus and he removed those things from their life. If we choose instant and complete obedience, prepare a place for him, he might be able to do some of that in our lives. The problem is, is so often we want God's miracles but we also want to stay in the things that we're doing that caused us to need the miracle to begin with. That's not in my notes. That just blew my mind. Thank you, Lord. That has to be God. I'm not smart enough to come up with that. I'm not even sure what I just said. I'm going to try and say it again, but I'll probably mess it up. What did I just say? <laughs> did you catch it? Oh, okay. Won't say it. Mm, yeah, we, we, thank you, Dustin. We, we, we want God to do the miraculous in our life, but we're unwilling to give up the things that led us to the need for the miracle to begin with. You are so smart. That's a good word, Dustin. Good word. Good word. My boy, Dustin. That boy. <laughs> now, here's the cool thing. Not only... Not only is God able to do those things in your own life, but here, because of, because of this moment, he did it in the lives of other people. Now, I can't tell you who was all laying their clothes down on the ground. I imagine some of those who were blind and some of those who were lame and some of those who were deaf, who received the miracle, were probably some of the ones who were laying their clothes on the ground. But we know this, the disciples that went and got the donkey... They weren't blind, they weren't deaf, they weren't lame, they just did what they were supposed to do. So their obedience and creating a place for God to move opened the door for somebody that wasn't even them to receive a healing and a miracle. How cool is that? Worship team, you can go ahead and make your way up here. God uses the obedience and the place prepared for him by one person to do miracles in the life of another person. We've seen that happen. 
Maybe, just maybe, God can use our obedience in the place we've repaired, prepared for him to work in somebody else we know's life. Do you have people in your life that, man, what we're talking about right now, you know that's exactly what they need. Do you have people in your life that when you talk about the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness and the gentleness of God and his ability to remove sin and junk from us and give us a, a new life and make us a new creation, do you have people in your life that need to hear that message? You have people in your life that need to hear that message. That's, I'm asking you, do you? Okay. So how can you help that along? You can walk in obedience to the word of God. Instant and complete. And you can prepare a place for him. How do you do that? You remove the junk from your life. And you begin to live a life of worship and praise unto him. Hey, did you guys see what happened today? There were moms and dads that led their kids down the aisle you want to know something funny? When I, I was like, I remember I told you guys to go ahead and do that, but when I left, I forgot that. And I walked in and I, everybody was just running up to the altar. I'm like, what's going on up there? And then I remember, oh yeah, we got communion. <laughs> Are you sure you want to follow me as your pastor? We can call somebody else now. We can do that. Excellent point. But here was the amazing thing that I saw. I saw moms and I saw dads walked their family down the aisle and I saw them grab the communion elements. I saw teenagers just grab it themselves. Mom and dad are serving right now so what's Aaliyah do? She grabs her own. And they took it back and they as a family had communion together. I got to enjoy family a communion with my family back there. Dad's no, you don't have to wait for us to do that here. You know you can lead your family in prayer at home. You know that you can, you can get your own bread, gluten sugar-free by Becca Beachy. You can get your own. Well, we want everybody to be able to have it, right? So even people with allergies, she makes that happen. Thank you, Becca. And Jerry poured it. Thank you, Jerry. You're awesome. You can go and get your own bread. And you can go and get your own juice. And you at home can sit down and you can be like, hey, we're going to reflect. We're going to connect with God and we're going to reflect on what he's done and we're going to expect for greater things. You can pray over your kids. You can pray over your home. And you may be wondering, why did the pastor let us come and get our own? Because I know that you can learn to have this for yourself. And my job isn't to retain job security by me doing it for you. It's to create disciples who know how to do it for themselves. And you can create an atmosphere in your life and in your home and in your car that is conducive to the presence of God. A quote that Reverend L. told us years ago, Dustin, you're going to remember this. Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for the things that are proven to attract your presence. Remember? Pray that all the time. Help me to hunger and thirst for the things that are proven to attract your presence. And when you do that, I'm telling you, he shows up. And when he shows up, he'll remove the junk from your life that doesn't need to be there. And he will begin to do the miraculous, not only in you, but the people in your life who need it most. And maybe that, maybe that miraculous thing is a healing. 
I mean, you, you see where you see in scripture where, where, where God does healing. He still does it today. And maybe you don't need a healing, but maybe you could live in such a way where somebody else in your life can get it. There's a guy by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. There's a picture of him. How many of you have heard that name before? A plumber in England. A plumber turned evangelist and pastor and preacher. Not pastor, evangelist and preacher. His ministry saw 14 different people resurrected from the dead. Many, many people healed. But you know what? His daughter was deaf. Chad and I were talking about this before service. His daughter was deaf and never got that healing. But he lived in such a way that somebody else could get it. I don't expect you to go and and become an evangelist. But you can live your life in such a way where those around you have a door open for them to God to move. For God to move. Amen? Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet? PT, the Palm Sunday story is a great story. But what do we learn from it? That's friends, that's the takeaway. The takeaway is simply this. If you will walk in obedience to God, complete and instantaneous, and you will prepare a place for him in your life, he will show up and he will move. He will remove the things that you don't need, the things that are separating from him, you from him, he will remove those things. And he'll begin to work miracles in your life. How do I know this? Because I'm looking at people that are miraculous. Some of you, it's a miracle you're even here today. Maybe because you were sick or maybe because of what God had to do spiritually to get you to a place where you'd be able to walk into a house and worship him. Either way, God's done miraculous things. Amen? And God still does that today. Maybe you need to know him on a personal level. Maybe you don't know him as Lord and Savior. That's where it all starts. The first act of obedience is when he says, let each of you repent and become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the first part. And maybe you've not yet done that. Today is a day you should do that. You know what? I don't usually get confrontational on this thing, but you know, usually we say, well, bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's looking. I don't care. Heads are up. People are looking around. But if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you want to learn to walk in obedience with him, today's your day. Or maybe you knew him and you walked away. God is looking for people that he can do amazing things in, and it can be you. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ and you're ready for that. Everybody's heads are up. Everybody's looking around. Unashamed, I'm going to ask you this. Are, are you here? And if you are, would you just put your hand in the air and let me know that you're there. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ and you want to do that, or you knew him and you walked away and it's time to come back. Would you just let me see your hand? Anybody out there? I see you. Okay. You know what? Keep your hand up. Deb, do me a favor. See that hand there? That young lady, I want you to go visit her. Can you guys help her get to her, please? Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? Okay. We're going to pray with you, Christina. We're going to pray with you. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a blessing over you and I'm going to let you go. And we're going to go and we're going to walk in obedience to God. And we're going to prepare a place for him in our life. 
What does that look like, PT? Driving down the road, you have the opportunity to listen to ESPN radio or you have the opportunity to put on some, some worship music. I would say put on some worship music. When you get home, you have, when you wake up tomorrow, you have the opportunity to open your phone up and go straight to Facebook or, or Instagram or go straight to your Bible. I would say, how about let's try to go straight to our Bible. When you're, when you're at the house and, and you, can, you can watch some TV, you can watch some stuff that's, gonna, that's going to hurt your soul or you can find something that feeds your soul. How about we find something that feeds our soul? The doors of the church are open. We can watch from home or we can get to the house of God. How about we get to the house of God? There's an opportunity for prayer on Friday nights. We can go to Logan's and get a steak or we can go to church. I would just say, or, or we can go, go and pray. I would just say, why can't we do both? Right? But you create an atmosphere where God can move and you allow him to do so. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. If you're getting baptized, I want to meet you right out right outside those doors. As soon as I'm done, I'm gonna I'm gonna say amen. And the elders and the and the prayer team and staff are gonna be up here and we're here to pray for you guys if you need it, but I'm gonna walk out that way. And um if you've not yet signed up to get baptized and you still want to, and you think you want to meet me out there. If you're interested, but don't really know what it means, meet me out there. If you're thinking about it and it's crossing your mind, meet me out there. Okay. We'll talk about it. And uh, oh yeah, by the way, we bought an inflatable hot tub so you won't freeze to death next time we baptize this time. Okay. We almost lost a kid to hypothermia last year. So you don't have to talk and the water's warm. Meet me out there. All right. I'm going to pray. These guys are going to worship. If you need prayer, come and see us. But we're going to go home, we're going to walk in obedience, complete and instant, and we're going to prepare a place for God to move in our life. And when he does that, he'll remove the junk and he'll do the miraculous. Amen? That's the push, that's the reaction, that's the takeaway, that's the domino effect. Father, thank you for my friends. I pray that you bless them and that you would just pour yourself out each and every one of our lives. And Father, help us to walk in complete and instant obedience preparing a place for you to do whatever it is that you want to do so that you can remove the junk and you can do the miraculous. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, if you want to help with funeral dinners, come see Wes Jones right here. Meet me out there if you're getting baptized and show up next Sunday ready for Easter. Bring friends and family. It's going to be a great day. We love you guys.